show. Welcome to another week in the insane world of Serbian football. This is your host, Miller, speaking. Thank you, everyone, for joining us here on our Spotify channel, on Spotify, the Serbian football show, as well as on YouTube at the Serbian football show as well. Glad you could all be here, and uh, let's just get to it. This week, as with every week, I have some of my good friends joining me. First, we have our man, Luca. Luca, uh, where are you in the world uh, this week? Hey man, I'm actually uh, visiting visiting parents in Virginia, man. And I thought I thought we were getting snowed in with our seven eight inches of snow, but then you're telling me you have three feet up there in Canada and making me feel really small down here, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think there's a difference between Canadian winter and American winter. I think for sure. <laughs> what what is this snow that you talk about? What, what is that? <laughs> really, first of all, you're from a place that we can't even be speaking about right now. The, the, the one of the God awful. Boy, boys, boys, boys let, 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 let me say, let me say it like this. Let me say it like this. To all of our wonderful listeners, to all of our um, fantastic Serbia diaspora, Christos Serodi, Srećo vam Nova Godina, whoever had Slava on Sveti, Stefan, Srećo ti deseti dan Slave. Um, but let me, let me go like this. Ladies and gentlemen of the civilized world, from... Everybody here, bar the Serbian population in Australia, I would like to, on behalf of them, because I still am a citizen and a passport holder, send you a heartfelt apology because we know we know not what we do. That we are the biggest bunch of fucking idiots that you've ever seen in your born natural life. And so to anyone that he's a wonderful fan of the sport of tennis and of course wonderful fan of uh novak djokovic i am sorry uh, uh from behalf of the decivilized uncivilized uh un- unsophisticated world of what is australia at the moment it was once a wonderful place we are truly truly sorry and akoborgda justice will be served and righteousness will take place and Novak Djokovic will win 37 of the Grand Slams <laughs> probably by the end of next year, but we all know mathematically that doesn't work. <laughs> Amen. Yes, Happy New Year to everybody except for Australia is what I have to say. But, uh, <laughs> Alexa, how are you doing in Belgium? But we, we give our heart warm feelings to all Australian Serbs, okay? And That's anyone right. that supports our cause, right? That's but right, and all those... The uh, for the, the rest Greek of those flags... Topics, the Polish flags as well, we saw. Yeah, for the rest of those Even some topics. Croatian ones. Can you believe that, dude? Yeah, listen. Alex, sorry, brother. You know, we still love you, man. Like, more than we love me. But um, uh, uh, there, was, there, was, there was Croatian people that came out. There was football jerseys. There was, there was um, uh, uh, flags. There were everything. Um, it was just wonderful scenes. It made you proud. I know that I've talked about, you know, Žuti ticket, Asadanes 3, Yellow ticket, Asadanes 3. But we have our strong points, and um, it was it was really heartfelt. It was really warming. It was really uh, patriotic, and it made you feel proud. And if anything, I know not just by the people that I know, but the people that I don't know that this has actually uh, made us stronger. This has actually made us more unified. This has actually made us more closer together. And um, you know, like the, the Serbian community in Australia is alive and well. And, you know, one day this will come back to bite them all in the ass. Hopefully, hopefully on election day. 
That too, but you know, like if anything, it doesn't matter who was in power. They would have, they, they just saw too many political uh, political right. points to be gained. Um, you know, so if uh, Kermit the Frog and you know Miss Piggy were in power, they they would have done the same thing. You know what I mean? Right. Ironically, right. Kermit the Frog and Miss Piggy are in power, <laughs> but you know that's that's another that's another story for for another time. Sorry, major Alex, respect. <laughs> major respect to the Aussie Serbs. Uh, you know, amazing scenes by them. A lot of unity, and you know, kind of mixed. I was a bit jealous that it doesn't exist in other places in the world and in our community, but that that was amazing and one of the only bright spots of the last couple of weeks in Australia, we'll say. Well, Alex, I guess you're on it. Well, I guess since it's, it's my turn, I guess um, caught the stomach bug and I was sick to my stomach and it wasn't because of the virus, because of everything that went on. But then again, some of us have been saying Australia is a pretty crappy country since 2010, those who know. They will remember Mr. Tim Cahill and his handball. With that being said, however, all of this is going to be passed when Novak wins the next three major tournaments and when he breaks every single record, which, to be fair, he's broken. So this is just delaying the inevitable. You can deny a goat his food in the morning, but you can't deny his food in the evening. So with that being said, uh, keep the faith and, uh, yeah, let's get into it. Right. And, and Novak, just just get the Sputnik shot. Alex has three of those and he only has one extra hand, you know? like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, boys. So this week, I actually uh, like that. That was very good. That was very, very good. I like that. It took me a while to click in, but that was very good, brother. Kudos to you. That's right. It's actually been right. recognised in Australia now that you know if you had the Sputnik shot, you actually come here. You'll still be deported at the at the at the border, <laughs> but you know, you might, you but you'll get the visa. Dude. Come here. Exactly right. Exactly right. Oh man, you know it is what it is. I don't know. It looks like. We might as well just talk about Novak to start the show. We might as well. I mean, yeah, I mean, let's do it. We, we are Serbian, and he's the biggest, <laughs> biggest news story, you know, in, in our in our lives, pretty much. So, uh, yeah, it looks like he's gonna have to be vaccinated for the French Open as well now, right? And any, and definitely for New York. So, who knows what's gonna happen? I don't think it doesn't seem like the COVID craziness is going anywhere. So, well, hold up, I don't think he would have to be vaccinated for New York because. He's just coming in there. He doesn't live there. I think it's only for people who live there. Okay, what about Kyrie Irving? Well, yeah, yeah, but like, you know, he can play games away. Like, away, you yeah. know, when Bradley Beal was not vaccinated, he went to yeah. New York and played because he doesn't live there. He can play there. So I think he should oh, be okay cool. for New York. They got loopholes? Okay. Yeah, good. yeah, exactly. Dude. I suppose the biggest thing, you know, down here from, from, from Australia, the notion that Nola Djokovic was an anti-vax. Oh, icon. yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. The media spin was hard, dude. Was the biggest load of bullshit you've ever seen. He's never said a single thing. He's never said a single thing about it. Exactly right. You know, uh, he's openly admitted that he's vaccinated his children against um, uh, uh, all the um, childhood um, uh, diseases that you can have. I mean, diseases and threats that you can have. He says he's openly said that he's um, vaccinated, you know, his children. So. The notion that he's an anti-vax beacon or an anti-vax icon or an anti-vax hero is the biggest load of garbage. Um, there was a small sentiment of calling him Novax that joined the Serbian support and all that type of stuff. And they're the people that did have three heads or, you know, the people who says, you know, I want to control what comes into my body, but they have no problems in snorting up a line of white powder through their nose. Right. You know what I mean, like it makes no sense. So um, I think what Nola Djokovic was, was just pro-choice. And I think, you know, and with anything that you say, the world choice, the choice can change. 
So you know, I I think that I think our greatest athlete in uh, in modern memory has got some uh, decisions to make, and I think he'll do what's best for him and what's best for his family and what's best for his conscience. So um, again, like it's it's funny. I got vaccinated, you know, a million years ago before vaccinations became uh, trendy. But I'm pro-choice. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, well, we're all adults here. We're all logical, uh, mm-hmm. you know, human beings. We should be able to do what we should, what we should want to do. Do you know what I mean? Right. But um, the biggest thing I want um, is for none of us to get infected, for none of us to go through that, for none of us to to be sick, to be ill, to be. Um, horribly under the weather, neither bush or hospitalizations or, or even worse. That's what I want more than anything. Whether you choose to get the vaccination or not, you know, we're all grown-ups. Do what you like, people. Right. It's the, it's the coercion of getting the vaccine is the problem, whether it be by government, media, or whoever else. That's the real problem, right? And not to get into the whole vax political thing, but what Djokovic was definitely not an anti-vaxxer considering he donated money to four countries to get the vax to their people, right? Uh, Serbia, Italy, I believe, mm-hmm. as well. Um, and, yeah, just the media spin, if you don't, you know, toe the line of, oh, yeah, yeah I'm pro, pro-vax and I got, you know, triple jabbed or whatever, you're automatically an anti- anti-vaxxer. I mean, you could you could have the COVID vaccine and still be anti-mandated vaccine and you'll be an anti-vaxxer somehow. I mean, that's just, that's just the kind of the level of uh, discourse that we have going on in the world today and and we don't have any discourse yeah yeah exactly you're right you're right man it's either you're towing the line or we're gonna ostracize you and you know fucking throw everything at you to to really to really bring down your reputation and look man if if i was novak here's what i would do man i I wouldn't i wouldn't be if i don't believe in the vaccine i wouldn't be coerced into taking the vaccine that's for damn sure and if that means i'm not gonna be playing two out of the four grand slams or whatever it may be uh that's fine, but like it should be his choice. He shouldn't get the vaccine because he wants to play tennis. He should get the vaccine because he actually believes it helps him in, in some way. I mean, this is the thing you're injecting yeah. in your body. You know, that, it, that's it, exactly that's exactly the point. Because if anything, Novak Djokovic is a beacon of looking after himself, looking after his body as an athlete, and because at the end of the day, this is still a sports show. He made wise, wise choices in the last 10 to 15 years of his life to address the deficiencies, obviously, his own body had to make himself a better athlete, to improve himself as, a, as an athlete. He changed his diet. He changed his lifestyle. He, he um, uh, started um, uh, changing his diet to make sure that he could be the best possible athlete and best possible tennis player that he could possibly be. And guess what happened? You know, although we all saw it coming, I re- it's still 75% of the, of, the, of the earth that is programmed not to like him. Right. It came as a surprise that he just shot up the Grand Slam, uh, the Grand Slam title, um, uh, title numbers. Because he openly, there was, you know, something, he was, he was times he was weak, he was suffering from low energy, he was being lethargic. He made choices about himself to improve his diet, to improve his training, to improve his, um, his lifestyle and look at the benefits. So if he's taken a cautious approach to whatever he puts into his, his body, you know what? He's got the evidence. Look what he's done in his life. That's what he should be um, a beacon of as a healthy, 
athlete. That's what he should be a, a hero for. Making the right choices to make sure his success is there along the way. Do we, do, does, does Novak Djokovic probably um, have a couple flaws? Absolutely. Like we all, we're all human beings. You know, for one, I wouldn't have advertised an Instagram, here I come, blah, 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 you know, this, that, and everything else. But that's just a personal choice. It didn't stop the world. It didn't make the world turn in the opposite direction. So if anything, he should be a, um, a, a, a hero for healthy lifestyle choices that converted him to be one of the greatest athletes of all time. No doubt. I, think it's just, I think it's just a question of being against modern medicine. If you recall, it took him a while to get his elbow treatment. And he got the elbow surgery. He was playing with a messed up elbow for a year because he didn't want to take the surgery. So I think Absolutely. Alex, the advice that he got there, he changed that, right? Because obviously he was getting some type of dodgy advice in you know, what they call now as their team and things like that. He changed that. And um, again, it showed another upward trajectory in his fortunes and in any success so um you know he makes good choices along the way not to mention that he's got a serious team of people around him and there's 10 or 15 top-notch professionals nutritionists everyone around him you know he's not making those decisions of course he has the final say but i mean i i know my uncle you know worked with on a commercial with him and he said you know, Novak can't do anything without their, you know, without them saying so. But it's not that they're restrictive. It's just that, you know, can he do this for his body? Is this good right. for his elbow? Is this good for his shoulder? Is this good for his leg? If it's good, yeah, we can go. So the notion that he doesn't take care of his body and that he's just kind of dismissing the vaccine for whatever reason is preposterous. Not to mention that thing to be this huge thing. If he has COVID, just take him out of the tournament. You know, you look at the Premier League, you look at other, you know, tournaments that are taking place. If someone has COVID, they just aren't available for selection. And doing that... They decided to make him a pawn, and um, the whole thing about having him fly over and then telling him he can't go was a deliberate attempt to try to demean him. And you can dislike him, and you can have your stance against him, but you don't have him fly out and then deny him at the border. You don't do that to a nine-time champion. You don't do that to the best player of your tournament. You don't do that to a human being. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Like, don't, don't put him on Absolutely. the damn line. And, and this, and is, the motion... this is the lane the inevitable, let's be honest. I mean, he's going to win the most slams. He already is the best player ever. So this is just people trying to hold on to this notion that they can catch him when you know they can't. And uh, the people that liked him before this are going to like him. Even the people that disliked him are going to hate him even more now. But the key thing for him is that he's got a healthy body on his shoulders and he's got a good head on his shoulders. And um, he's going to make the best decision for himself. And I have no doubt that uh, we're going to see him in all the major tournaments because I don't think he's going to let us go that easily. And uh, if he gets on the courts... Anybody who wins that Australian Open now knows that they're going to have an asterisk next to their name, and any of the following tournaments that come, you know that he's going to come in to kick their ass. And uh, I think it's good that he now understands that he's got people against him because that's when he's at his best, and that means he's going to win more trophies, and that's good for everybody and good for him, of course. That's right, and in all these people that are, you know, uh, are saying all these negative things about him, saying he's a bad person, these are the same people who are saying. The same stuff, you know, at the at the U.S. Open when he hit the accidentally hit the lady in the neck, right? They're calling him, uh, um, you know, he loses loses control, he has a bad temper, he doesn't have class. It's the exact same people. So it doesn't matter what he would have done. They're they're just waiting for him to do something that they can latch onto because they're already against him. So it doesn't matter. And people are saying this is hurting his image and all that. It's total bullshit. Look at his Instagram followers. Look at his look at his Twitter followers. He's getting way more followers than ever before because people are rallying behind him. Right. So, and anybody that's saying he's a bad person or, or he's got issues, like, whatever. Like, like this guy has literally built 45 preschools in Serbia of his own money from his foundation. 
He's donated how many checks, how many of his winnings purses that he donates to Serbia and other causes around the world. I mean, and to Australia just, too. It's laughable. <laughs> to Australia too. He donated. Yeah, he, he, he donated. He donated um, many thousands of dollars to the bushfire relief. Right. Because that's one of our biggest problems that we have down here during right. Australian summer. Um, and it's it's devastating. It, like I've actually, you know, like uh, hand on my heart, you know, the um, Christine Moga. I've actually driven through a bushfire. It is the most terrifying thing that you've ever seen in your born natural life. And the thing is, though, is that people that live here, you know, athletes who are on bigger, uh, bigger money, were dwarfed by um, his donations, were dwarfed by his, you know, financial uh, uh, generosity. The notion that, uh, you know, when he came here and people of the eastern states of Australia said, well, we had to live through lockdown, we had to live through these rules, we had to live through these restrictions, why can he come here? Right. I still fail to realize why was that Novak Djokovic's fault? Exactly, man. Like it, it was misplaced anger, right. man. It misplaced right. anger that I, should have been really, towards I, the government. I, I really still can't. I really still can't understand. And I'm trying to read all these logical books and uh, go back to do year eight uh, algebra homework with my daughter and all that type of stuff. I'm still trying to find a realize the reason of how that was Novak Djokovic's fault. And what it's actually come down to is, sadly, unfortunately. If you think about it, the media, the journalists, the commentators and all that obviously are not that bright. Because what happened with Novak Djokovic in the tennis world is he broke the narrative. The narrative had always been in tennis a head-to-head clash, a head-to-head rivalry. If we look back in history and we look at Bjorn Berg versus John McEnroe, head-to-head, if you look at Chris Herbert versus Martina Navratilova, head-to-head. If you look at um, uh, Edberg versus um, uh, Becker, head-to-head. If you look at, you know, Agassi versus Becker or Agassi versus Sampras, head-to-head. There was only two of them. What Djokovic did is he broke the narrative of the Nadal versus um, Federer uh, head-to-head rivalry. And they plainly simply didn't know what to do with it. You know, like three didn't go into two for these people. And obviously their their mental capacity was reached. So I'm sorry, he did. And he might end up being the greatest ever in terms of numerical Grand Slam title winner that the history of that sport has ever seen. And guess what? Bad luck. You know, get over it, people. This is what this is what it said. Get, you know, get over it, people. We, we spoke about in our preamble before the show started, uh, gentlemen, as you know, we've got to, you know, what people in Western society don't know how to do is to put it into context. You know, we're not the richest nation in the world. We never will be. We're not the richest nation in Eastern Europe. We never will be. We wouldn't have a national tennis centre if Novak Djokovic didn't build it for us, right? So his generosity and his willingness to um, uh, look after his own people of which he's realized more and more that he will be doing more and more because do you know what we don't need the love of the west we don't we don't need that it's it's not it's not the rain the pot of gold at the, end of the rainbow as people as people think it is so you know what i mean like at the end of the day it's the double-headed eagle and the three colors that that supported him they were the people in front of the the detention center they were the people in front of the federal court they were the people in front of the um, uh, in front of the hotel, and as the first judgment ruling of his first federal court hearing, openly and concluded in the judges in the judges assessment, 
The first part was, what more could he have done? So he obviously received assurances that he was allowed to come to Australia. And number two, which was actually further emphasised by a federal member of parliament called John Alexander, who was a former top 10 tennis player himself, and uh, openly said that he posed no threat either for health or biosecurity for the people of Australia. No, none. And the judges and the federal court judges' decision needed to be respected. What we emphasised here was the fact that the judiciary and the and the um, parliament, the politicians, weren't able to be independent of one another. And I find that sad. Living in a so-called liberal democracy, right? I find that sad. Right. And so that's probably all I have to say on uh, to say on that. And you know, like. It's, it's just a really unfortunate, sad... It's not a tragic situation because life will go on. There's worse things that's happening in the world, worse things that are happening to our people, worse things that are happening to our, um, uh, to our children, to our faith and things like that. The world will go on. I'm not going to call that a tragedy, right? Because you know what? We're, we're better than that. But um, the fact is that that was able to be done, you know, as a nation Australian that will can silly Man. you know what i mean like you know and sometimes when you just say um that five little word silly that actually hurts more than saying oh a bunch of idiots a bunch of you know whatever it is and you know being crass we ended up looking really 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 silly yes so in conclusion it was a goddamn bunch of bullshit to, yeah. well one, yeah. one last comment one last comment on the on the clapping seal dude so you know that when I say clapping seals, I mean the people who will literally just clap as they're saying, hey, government, just inject me with more stuff, whatever you want. And if and, and these are the same kind of people that would drink sewer water if the government told them to, if it was going to cure them of COVID. So, like, if those are the people that are against Novak, so be it, man, because we we are not, they're not critical thinkers, and, 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 and they are most definitely not the kind of people that I want to be associated with. But, not to mention the fact that the, go ahead. the people that are listening to this are probably thinking, well, you're spending too much time on this. you got to keep in mind, this could have an impact on other sports. This could have an impact. How's the World Cup going to be when it comes to the vaccination, a topic that's very close to us? How are other countries and how are other sports going to treat this? Are they going to also mandate vaccination? Are players vaccinated? And, and, what, and what does it mean to be vaccinated? Does it mean now having two boosters? You know what I mean? Like it, it, it keep, how, the goalposts keep shifting. is a vaccination? Exactly. Because if you have one shot, apparently you're not vaccinated. If you have two, right. Then you are. So, like, where do you draw? Yeah, the, the, yeah, they keep shifting, man, and that, that's that's the problem, man. And now we're like two years into this damn quote pandemic, and uh, you know we still don't have clear rules in the United States here. We still don't know how many people have died with COVID or without COVID. But I'm, I'm just not to mention that, that all these guys that are playing and all these sports have tested up the wazoo. I mean, there are guys that have come out and they're getting tested every day, and they've they're peak athletes that have to play in peak performances surely they're not going to allow themselves and you know their body is the way they make money precisely and if you're forcing them to change their body you know maybe some people can't handle the vaccine i know people that can play sports that maybe have a reaction to a vaccine or something like that. brother it should be a choice just like anything else you put into your body should be a choice that's that's just about mine this whole thing sucks and it's a topic that's very close to us because it could impact the teams that we love and it's impacting somebody that we support and again it's not to canonize dude but everything we know about Novak screams to him being a good dude and how much he's taking care of the other players, helping him get money, how much he's raised for the bush fires, how much he's taking care of his body. This whole thing is making him look like a pawn. And we're frustrated because 
you know, this treatment of him wouldn't have happened to Nadal. It wouldn't have happened to Federer. It wouldn't have happened to anybody else. It has happened to him for whatever reason, whether it's because of his nationality, whether people don't like him because of the Grand Slam record, whatever it is, you're trying to ostracize and scapegoat somebody who's like literally the last dude to be scapegoated because I know people in his inner circle. I've talked to people in his inner circle and everybody says only positive things about people that are out of that inner circle. All the players are saying good things about him and how he's fought for them to help them get a better status. So it frustrates us here, not just me, but all three of us in the podcast, all four of us rather, that somebody who works hard and somebody who's honest to himself and who respects other people is treated like this for something that he had nothing to do. Not to mention the fact that you can't force somebody to come into the tournament with the vaccine. And by the way, the vaccine isn't a guarantee that you're not going to get the thing. So even then, it's like, and not to mention, really, you would know better because you live there. Like, these whole, this whole draconian, like, process that has been going on with you guys getting locked down for a small amount of cases, if that process would have worked, then COVID wouldn't exist. But you and I both know. I think they're at all-time COVID highs right now. Exists. COVID very much exists in Australia right now. So even the draconian measures that they're imposing are not working because COVID exists, as you know, because you've been under lockdown for a long period of time. So the whole thing sucks. And uh, at the end of the day, we know that he's going to win the most titles, and we know it's going to be fine. But it's annoying to go through it because he should have a grand slam in his pocket right now, and he doesn't have it because of stupidity. That's not his fault. So it's it's annoying. Hundred percent. I'm Milos. What what soccer related questions you got for us? <laughs> yeah, let's talk football. Let's talk football. At the end of the day, COVID's going to be the, long gone. People listening to this, we we had to get this out of the way because it was too many. <laughs> I'm sure the people would appreciate it. <laughs> Yeah, and you know what? At the end of the day, COVID's going to be long gone, and his legacy will... Nobody will remember this, honestly, when, when it's all said and done, and he has all the records. This is going to be a small blip on the radar, and, you know, we're all going to... And, yeah, it's just the thing is, like, it, it, it's just the, the talk about vaccination, unvaccination is just what bothers me the most, because this thing isn't even about that. It's They, they let him come to the country, and then they treat him like a, like a donkey and lock them up and, and use them. So, I mean... And, and all these people saying, oh, well, if you're vaccinated, you how can you support Novak? Well, newsflash. I mean, I'm vaccinated. I support him. There's millions easy. of people that are yes, vaccinated easy. support him. Hey, hey, support hey. him easily. Yeah, if, you're, if you're a logical yeah, thinker, it's, it's very hard. easy to yeah, support it's, him. <laughs> it's um, it's uh, hard not to. Yeah, exactly. You know, and then, like, I suppose I suppose the greatest compliment was, ironically, from, from Nick Kyrgios. He's a guy that massively divides opinion, you know, the right. idea... He goes, I'd hate to face him now. Right. right? He goes, the dude won't miss a backhand. The dude will not miss now. Do you know what I mean? Like, this is the worst time to get him. And I suppose everyone else in the draw would be, you know, highly relieved that um, uh, they're highly relieved that he's not playing now because you would have felt the wrath. And to the, oh. to, you know, to our Serbian boys that are left in the draw, you know, good luck. Um, you know, Milmir Kuzmanovic is second round, Dusan Lajovic is second round, um, and unfortunately, uh, Fijo Krajinovic uh, lost in the first round, but, you know, best of luck to you guys, and, you know, hold the flag up high, and, you know, join Nola in Paris, and, you know, we can't wait to see you, see you guys all together. That's right, and we all know how Novak is, right? He's gonna, he's gonna absolutely snap on the court and destroy everybody. We, we know his personality, we know his mental toughness, his character. He's he's going to show zero emotion on the court. He's going to show that none of this bothers him. He's going to absolutely destroy them all. And it's going to be beautiful. It's just going to take some time. Who knows, you know, now that these countries see that they can, you know, impose these rules and maybe have some of their guys win some tournaments, 
we'll see how how this this politicking goes but hopefully it starts to improve from now and, and you know hopefully just a small roadblock roadblock to what's going to be even more dominant record-setting career for uh, for the goat and for for our man Ole. But yeah, let's talk about football. I think we spent enough time. Is that the sport about. that you're not allowed to touch the ball with your hands? Or? <laughs> okay, is there right. a racket involved? Yeah. Let's talk about some football. You know, it is the winter, the winter transfer season. There's a lot of headlines currently, most of them about our boy, Adushalahwich, who is, seems to be attracting the attention of, of many big clubs, notably Arsenal, Atletico Madrid, Juventus, uh, Tottenham seems to still be interested in him as well. Uh, Man City, of course. Um, a lot of rumors that that uh, Arsenal is heavily after him, uh, you know, offering seventy million, offering him a hundred. I think two hundred k a week was the last uh, last thing I saw, or over two hundred k a week for his salary. So he's gonna be a rich man no matter what. Um, Luca, what are your thoughts on on, on this whole Lockwich transfer frenzy? He's scoring beautiful goals every every week now. He's scoring a beautiful goal yesterday. That first touch, exquisite. Um, what are your do you do you want him to leave right now, or should, do you think he should stay uh, until the end of the year, or possibly longer, and keep a good thing going? Uh, look, my my favorite team in Syria is Fiorentina, and it's probably my second favorite team after Zvezda. Obviously, when we're talking about club teams. Uh, as much as I love Fiorentina, no, I don't think he should stay. I think, you know, he's done everything he can do at that club. And I, and I think he needs to go and prove himself while he's hot, while he's got that confidence going and everything in a, in a, in a much bigger club. The move to Arsenal, I can't say I'm a very big fan of because I want to see Vlahovic and I think he wants to see himself too in, in guaranteed Champions League football. I think there is other clubs out there that are in, much, in a much better position to play Champions League and that would fit him a lot better. That being said... Uh, the EPL, obviously, as we know, has been a graveyard for our offensive players. Uh, however, I think Lachovic is one dude who could definitely break that mold. I mean, just his physicality, his touch, his shot, everything about him screams like this is a EPL stri- worthy striker and, and in the top four teams for sure. Um, so there's that part of me that wants, wants me to see him go to the EPL. However, I'm still of the opinion, and I know there's you know some drama now between Juventus and whatnot, but I, I still want him to stay in Italy, and I think I think Stoichkovic also wants this for him. I think he said so in an interview. Stay in Italy, go to Juventus if possible. I think I think that's the best case scenario for him. Other than that, you know, I would love to see him in in a, in a club like um, like Bayern Munich. I think would also be a great fit. I don't think there's you know much interest from them or whatever, but I think that would be a fantastic fit for him, especially with Lewandowski leaving uh, soon. Um, so, yeah, man, I, 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 those are kind of my thoughts. I would just say stay in Italy, go to Juventus, go to a bigger club in Italy. and Because you're already proving yourself in that league and you're going to get to play Champions League football with a stronger team and you're going to have a better supporting cast and you're going you're to put up m- more goals. Um, but going to Arsenal is just that it, it's a very unsure thing, I feel like, what's going on over there. They're battling for fourth. God knows who's going to get that fourth uh, position and go to the Champions League. But like, let's say he goes to Arsenal, they finish like sixth or something. Then what? Then what do you do? You know, you're going to be there for a couple of seasons or whatnot, and then maybe you go somewhere else. But I just don't like that whole situation. It seems very unstable at Arsenal, and I wouldn't want to see him there personally. Yeah, man, but I, I just hate Juventus. They're so unlikable. <laughs> I don't <laughs> want to see him there either, honestly. And I think just like, I like to see our players at like such massive clubs that have such massive followings like Arsenal. I mean, every time Vlahovic does anything, 
like he trends on Twitter. If you see his Instagram post, the guy has like ten thousand comments from Arsenal fans. Hey, did on you every see? Picture. Right. I mean, did you see that? Like they were doing like a breakdown of his celebration and his last Fiorentina goal, and they were like, "Was he looking towards Arsenal or like uh, you know this, London?" Yeah, I was, yeah. Like, I was like, "Come on, bro." <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, man. yeah honestly, I would love to see him at Arsenal just because, like, I think I love the attention that like a huge club like that brings to our players, and I think he would fit well there. But as you said, you are right. It's not the most secure club currently, so who really knows if that would be a good choice or not. And I think the Premier League is the best league in the world. And if you're going to prove yourself anywhere, I mean, why not there? Uh, Veli, what are your thoughts on the Vlaovic situation and where do you think he should go you know, or if he should stay? You know what I find the most impressive thing about Dushan Vlaovic at the moment? Is the fact that, listen, the transfer interest must be suffocating. You know, um, his agent must be licking his lips, rubbing his hands together, uh, thinking, you know, what what is going to be the commission that I'm going to get because every single club in Europe is after this this guy. What I find most impressive is the fact is that his form hasn't dipped. Playing for Fiorentina, uh, what was it, yesterday or this morning? You know, sorry, guys, like, uh, you know, it's morning for me and uh, uh, late evening for you guys, but... um. Um, his form hasn't dipped at all. And what I notice about that is when, is it 18 months ago now, guys, correct me if I'm wrong, when that same interest was with uh, Sergei Malinko-Savic, his form did dip, right? He was actually almost lost to it all because the, the, the speculation about his next move was uh, so overwhelming that I think it possibly caused some type of... Um, dip in his form and I find that most impressive about Vlahovic now is the fact is that his form is still red hot. It is on fire. The thing is though, if he, the club that he goes to, it's a bit of a catch-22. If he goes to a club that's guaranteed Champions League football for next year, the transfer fee will be a little bit lower than a club that is uh, let me say that again. I hope that came out right. If the uh, if he goes to a club next year that is guaranteed transfer, uh, uh, guaranteed Champions League football, the financial benefit to Vlahovic and the transfer fee potentially could be smaller than if he goes to a club that's not guaranteed Champions League football. So if I say that in simpler terms, Arsenal are going to have to pay a lot more money for Dusan Vlahovic because it's unlikely they'll be playing Champions League football for next year than a Juventus or somebody else because they will be. Now, Vlahovic probably wants to play Champions League football next year. I'm not sure he's willing to go to a project whereby he goes to a new club next next season, he plays a year without Champions League football, hoping that they can get into Champions League football the year after that. Now, at the end of the day, yeah, I, I agree with you, Milos. I agree with you, uh, both. You know, with both of you, and highly likely because Alex will say something vastly more intelligent than I will. I'm going to agree with him before he even starts talking. <laughs> um, uh, you know, we want we want to see the exposure. We want to see him uh, in the in the best leagues possible. I just hope that he makes the choice to go to a club that suits his style. Um, and to suits the, uh, the the way that he plays, and obviously where he's going to get, beg your pardon, where he's going to get game time, because the only thing I don't want to see is him to go to a bigger club than Fiorentina, because let's face it, there are, and sit on the bench. Well, that's what I don't. That's what I don't want 
uh, don't want to happen. So, for instance, if he went to, you know, I'm just throwing this out there. If he went to a Manchester City, there is a potential, there is a possibility that he could be doing a lot of bench, some bench time next year, which is not used to mm-hmm. in Fiorentina right now. So uh, that's that's the scenario that I'm uh, uh, putting out there more than anything. So if a non-Champions League club want him, they're going to have to be paying uh, the uh, Fiorentina more. They'll probably be after paying Vlahovic more as a weekly wage than a, than a club that is guaranteed Champions League football next year. So it will be interesting times. Well, yeah, I don't think we have to worry about Vlahovic sitting on the bench anywhere. I mean, this guy is like this guy is definitely a generational talent, the generational player. And I think he's going to be one of the best players in the world. Absolutely, but we, we also know we also know that we live in this generation now, where uh, this time of football history, where you know you have those huge owners. Like we all know that Newcastle right now can can afford him. Right, they could throw anything they want at him. Right, Chef, they can afford him. <laughs> absolutely, you know. But what we're trying to say is the fact is that where's his football future going to be best um, uh, best defined? You know, like they, they, you know, they could possibly buy him an island. Newcastle could buy him an island in Pacific, commonly known as Fiji. You know, Tonga's probably going to go pretty cheap these days. But um, uh, yeah, exactly <laughs> right. So they could give it, but whether that's the right move for him or not. But we live in the age whereby there's the Manchester Cities, there's the Paris Saint Germains, and they have the the owners. That money is no object. But if you go in, you go into a club, and you're sharing that uh, locker room with so many other egos. And so many other um, uh, uh, forces within the within the locker room or the change room, as we call it down here, there could be there could be potential bench time, and that's that's the th- uh, that's the part I don't want to I don't want to see for Vlahovic. I, I really don't mind what shirt he wears as long as that club suits his style of play, and it is an upgrade from whatever whatever he is now, and not to the detriment of the Serbian national football team. Um, one one question I do have regarding the transfer, and this might be even for Alexa for you to jump in. You probably know a little bit about this, but I've I've just been hearing just from let's just say American media we're talking about Vlahovic, um, uh, that his agent is kind of shady and that uh, he, he's causing problems with the transfer. Is there any truth to that? And if so, what what is the actual story there? Well, there was a report that came out that um, Danilo Vucic, who's the the son of the president, was his manager apparently, and there was a whole web of people that was entangled in it and a lot of pressure for him to leave and stuff like that. I haven't really been paying attention. And, uh, I mean, his whole career, he's kind of been managed by, by shady people. If you look at the way he left Partizan right. um, very quickly as a youngster, I think he was 17 when he left uh, without much notice. You know, he was just kind of shoehorned to leave. And, uh, you know, it, 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 at the end of the day, it, a lot of people around some of the top players aren't exactly the people that you want around yourself. I mean, you look at the chaos that surrounds Neymar. Um, certainly something that you wouldn't want to be associated with, but as long as stuff works on the pitch, um, I guess it's fine for him. Um, so in that sense, I think that we have to take into consideration that all the pressure that existed around the Sergei Milinkovic Savage transfer, um, and he still stayed at Lazio, and of course that's a transfer rumor that's been active for five years now, but he stayed there for a long time, and he's settled in, and he's found a place to where things work for him. Um, I wonder whether Vlachovic might be the same thing. I think if you look at the track record of our players, they are rare to force a move. They are rare to really throw themselves out there. For example, Alexander Mitrovic is someone who probably easily could have gone to a team in Italy or could have gone to a team in England uh, or Spain. Um, we are loyal to a fault always. <laughs> yep. And, uh, 
Exactly. And uh, he decided to stay at Fallen because it was something that worked for him. His family loves it there. He loves it there. He's respected and appreciated there. And he's a top scorer and the best player uh, by a mile. So I think that it might be something that works for Vlachovic. He seems very relaxed and uh, seems very sincere and contrite as far as answering questions about his commitment to Fiorentina. So I wonder whether a lot of that exists. What there's a desire for him to leave. I think if you look at uh, some of the rules that FIFA is uh, hoping to impose as far as agents and uh, you know people around the players getting a cut of the transfer money, they're becoming much more restrictive when it comes to that. So you would argue that maybe there's pressure for him to leave now before those rules get imposed. That's another part of the story that has to be taken into consideration. Um, so there's a lot of angles where you can look at it as far as how it works for him. My personal opinion is that he should learn from two examples from guys that he's playing with on the national team that I think are great examples of what he should do and what he shouldn't do. Luka Jovic was in a similar situation when he was tearing it up at Frankfurt and big clubs were lining up to sign him. And we all kind of groaned when Real Madrid came into the equation, not because we weren't happy that he was going there, but because we understood that there's a lot of pressure there. The transfer fee was high. He might not get playing time because there's a player that's just as good as him and probably better than him in Karim Benzema, who's also unequivocally the most respected member on that team since Cristiano Ronaldo wasn't there. And we've seen what Luka Jovic just had to go through, not playing much in Madrid and not really getting a lot of game time because um, he rushed his move. We were all kind of hoping that he might go to Milan. He might go to Arsenal was again in the story. Uh, Man United was another team that was thrown in. They're a team that's really, really good, maybe even a great team that doesn't swallow you due to the fan pressure and doesn't swallow you due to the media coverage. And then you have the second example, Indusin Tadic, who I think is the shining example for every player how you should build your career. Because he went step by step by step, in the Italian or the He went to Southampton at a time which was in on its path to being that again. Uh, thank you, Mick. Um, and he... Oh, so you're breaking up a bit. Yeah. Can you guys hear me now? Yeah, we can. But do you realize when Alexa breaks up, he's saying we can't hear him, he still has more intelligent things to say than I do. <laughs> <laughs> well, that the initial uh, thing that... Yeah, they're breaking up. Breaking yeah, up. yeah, breaking up. Yeah. yeah. Saying, hopefully you heard me and that rambling. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's just an issue, Mike. Is it, is it working okay now? Yes, we can hear you, buddy. You were, you were talking about how Dusan okay. Tadic made pretty wise career moves and wise choices without his career, yep. and it has, so, has an example. But but he yep. did stay at Southampton a little bit too long, though, right? We agree with that. Yeah. So you know, he went to Ajax, and it worked well for him. So I'm wondering whether Arsenal is the right move because they're not a team that is as demanding or as great as uh, maybe a Man City or Real Madrid or something like that. I think it's a team that's, they need a player like him that can take them to the next level because he is an elite talent. And I think that what this Arsenal team needs desperately is elite talent. They finally, after a long period of time, after a long period of not knowing what to do with Wenger and Emery finally have a system that works. They've been playing very good football. I think they're playing a system that fits him well. Aubameyang is on the outs. He's not. He's been, you know, the captaincy's been taken away from him, and he's not been playing a lot. So, I'm of the belief that Arsenal actually is a good move for him. I think the fans would embrace a player like that. And um, 
there's other stories, you know, Atletico Madrid, they might be losing Suarez, who's going to Aston Villa. So maybe Atletico's going to be in the mix because they need someone who can pair up with, with the other strikers they have. So there's a lot of options for him, but I think he needs to build his career. I think there's plenty of time for him to reach the top teams. I think that his physical gifts are such that even at age 27 and 28, he can still play for the top teams. He's good enough with the ball in his feet where he's not going to – he's not like a Michael Owen or an Mbappe who are – unequivocally fantastic, but you know that they're depending on their physical talents to dominate them or for them to dominate in games. Vlachovic's physical talents help him, but they're not the fundamentals of his game. He's great with the ball in his feet, tremendous finisher, good in the air, and I think that building a spot for him where he's going to be the main guy, because if he goes to Arsenal, he's going to be the main guy. He's going to have all the attention towards it. They're going to build around him, and I think it's a move that would suit him well. I know that other teams are in the mix, and I'm not the biggest Arsenal fan. I'm not the biggest fan of their fan base. But I think that the way the club's going and the style that they play and just this stage of his career would work. And also, they're right there. They're not out of the Champions League picture. They're fighting with West Ham. They're fighting with other teams. So I think it could be something that could be pretty beneficial for him. He's going to get playing time. He's going to be appreciated. There's going to be a huge financial uh, swing for him to go there. So I think it's a move that makes sense for him. But I think wherever he goes... Uh, the thing that separates from Lukajovic is the fact that this is a guy who's six foot three, six foot four, who can run like a deer, who can change games with his pace and his strengths. That's something that Lukajovic couldn't do. And when you can run like that and move like that, uh, you're always going to be a threat on the field. And when you add to his physical tools and his footballing talent, uh, even if he goes to his big intelligence, team, he's a very, very smart player as well. Very smart. Very smart. Yep. Yep. So I, I have full confidence that whoever he goes is going to be fine. If he stays at Fiorentina. Um, he's a cult hero there like Abu Batistuta, and I think he's going to break a bunch of records. So either way, time works for him. He has to think about his decision, but whatever he chooses, I think he's going to make a good call. Uh, hopefully the people around him don't mess that up, and if he's focused like he has been because he's hungry for goals and he's hungry for success, I think it's going to be good for him. So I'm not that worried about it, but if you ask me where he's going to end up, I would say I think he stays at Fiorentina for this winter transfer window, but I think during the summer he moves to Arsenal. I'm pretty sure that's what's going to happen. Either way, he's going to make a lot of money and he's going to score a lot of goals no matter where he goes, in my opinion. Yep. But hopefully it's a, it's a giant club and we'll see what happens there. Um, some other news this week. Uh, we finally got an announcement on our March friendlies for a national team. We'll be playing Hungary in Budapest on March 24th and we'll be playing Denmark in Copenhagen on March 29th. Two very solid opponents. Um, should be... Interesting games, both of them. It should be you know tough to get a result, especially against Denmark, who's a team that doesn't lose very much uh, recently in recent years. Um, for me, a bit disappointing that none of, none of these games are at home. Would have been nice to celebrate qualifying for the World Cup in such amazing fashion in front of uh, our stadium here and, and our fans, but it is what it is. Luca, what are your thoughts on, on the March friendlies and our opponents? My first thought is, I think we mentioned this before, but whoever's doing the social media graphics for FSS, give that, give them a raise, dude, because those are awesome, dude. Uh, <laughs> even, even for the friendlies, I was I was hyped up, man. I was like, hell yeah. Um, it, uh, yeah, man, like you said, dude, two two quality opponents. I'm very much looking forward to the, to the Denmark game, and I, and I think um, I think the boys will as well, and especially Stoichlis, because I think it's just another, like, proving ground, and it seems like he's the guy who likes to, to prove himself and, and what the team can do, so... Very much looking forward to them. Um, I'm going to be watching both of them, obviously. I understand, you know, yeah, n- not being at home to celebrate 
not the best, but however, we do have the Nations League coming up, you know, right after. So I'm not I'm not too worried about it. I think I think people will show up, and especially if we get a nice little result in both of these friendlies, I think they'll definitely be there. Right, keep the keep the wins coming, uh, Valley. What are your thoughts on these friendly choices? Again, you, when you set up friendly internationals, one of the big things that you need to look at is who's available, um, and you know who's willing to to take up your offer of uh, of, of a friendly of a friendly international. And then at that time of the year, the, correct me if I'm wrong, boys. Does that coincide with um, uh, one set of the? Uh, the playoffs for the World Cup is that right on the same day? Coincides. Yeah. It coincides with I think the playoffs and the qualifiers for Commonwealth and the other confederations because I know people are complaining we're not playing against South American teams, Asian teams. They have their qualifiers, so they they weren't available for selection. Absolutely. So that that adds to the that adds to the, um, the combinations and permutations of who you could play. Again, uh, I think I made this point in, on on a previous pod. The only thing I would have loved to have seen now I don't know if that was logistically possible. Is that we all jumped on a plane and went to Qatar or Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, or something like that, and played a game over there um, as a bit of a fact-finding mission to get ourselves prepared for the World Cup. But um, they've made this choice again. We know Hungary really, really well. Denmark is nothing short of a machine at the moment. Mm-hmm. They are a fantastic Solid. football side. So uh, I'm pleased that we're going to test ourselves uh, against there. But we all know. Again, the stakes are high. Nations League comes up thereafter. The World Cup is after that. We're going to see a game with, you know, eight or nine or ten substitutions. You know, probably not that much, but you know what I'm trying to say. Um, there will be some type of experimentation. We've got, to, um, uh, we've got to prepare for those well, and we've got to see. Because I think when it comes to, by the time that comes, I reckon, I reckon um, Dragan Slojkovic would have, 85% of his squad already in his head. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I think he'll have, ready for the World Cup, or should I say, I reckon 85% of that would already be in his head. And um, so that would be, uh, you know, the first half of the last gasp opportunities for our French players to make their statement. Because we're in a situation at the moment whereby there's a few of our players who are not playing regularly club football. Um, as as you know, look, when I missed the when I missed the last pod, and we spoke about you know who has our uh, shining lights and who was our disappointments. Someone like uh, Milos Radonjic really needs to have game time, because let's face it, he's playing for Serbia on loan from a Benfica. Do you know what I mean? Like he's he's in a, in a really difficult situation. He's got to be playing you know more game time. So um, uh, hopefully by the time March comes around, which is what eight or nine weeks away that um, uh, more of our players are playing regularly. For sure. And, you know, hopefully we see some new faces and, and try it out in these friendlies, like uh, Milos Pantovic from Boshum, who just had two goals today. Mashwich from Boshum as well. Um, hopefully Samarjic from Udinese would be nice to get as well. Uh, so what are your thoughts on, on these uh, friendly decisions for March? Well, I would like to uh, piggyback on Valley's point as far as the percentage of the squad that Pixie's going to have available. I think the blessing in disguise when you're a country of six or seven million people is that you don't really have 50, 60 players to choose from. You have a very limited basis of players. Now, we have a lot of talent, but I think that our player pool probably goes up to 30 or 35 at most. So I think that most of the squad, you know, by default, is going to have to choose them no matter how good they are or not. 
but I think that the friendlies that we've seen in the past uh, could be a great ground for him and a great opportunity for him to see the French players and, you know, especially on the defensive side of the ball and in other positions, how they're going to fare. The goalkeeping position as well might be up for grabs. So uh, I think that they're going to use the friendlies as well. The teams that we got, I am very, very happy with the teams we picked. I think considering the circumstances of not having the South American and the African and the Asian teams available uh, due to the qualifying cycle uh, being active at that time, I think the opponents we picked were great. Uh, Hungary, we know from the Nations League we just played, uh, the, you know, the last Nations League we were in, uh, they beat us after the Norway game and they really stifled us. They played a similar formation to, to us and uh, we had chances at the end of that game, but they stifled us. They made it very hard for us to move the ball. They really pinned us down in an 11-on-11 game and uh, the game we played on the road was another game where it ended 1-1, but it could have easily gone their way. Uh, they played in the Euros and they had a very good showing of themselves. I thought they drew with Germany, they drew with France. They played a very good game against Portugal for 80 minutes. Uh, they've got a manager who knows how to drill them in, and Marco Rossi. They've got enough talent where you have to respect them. Uh, I would have liked to have seen them do better in the World Cup qualifiers because they finished behind Poland and Albania, two teams that I thought that they might be better than and that they were going to compete with for the playoff spot. But with that being said, you know we've played in Hungary before, so we're used to the pitch, we're used to the atmosphere that might be there. Um, and with that being said, I think it's a great opportunity for us to fix the impression we had from the previous game against Hungary. I think that this team is uh, much quicker in terms of how we're moving the ball. I think that we're much faster uh, creating our counterattacking opportunities, which was a flaw in the Tumbakovic team, which was not able to create counterattacking opportunities quickly. Uh, this team plays with simply just a lot more pace and a lot more fluidity. And I'm hopeful, as well with more talent at their disposal, and I'm hoping that with that uh, on our side, that the Hungary game is not a problem because I do think we're a better team than they are. I think we're more talented. I think that uh, we, we gel just as well. I think we've shown we have the capacity to play 11 on 11, but I think it's a good test against a team that's going to be very sturdy and it's going to be very physical. The Denmark game is obviously the one I'm looking forward to the most personally because I have an axe to grind with Denmark. Uh, those that remember the Euro 2016 qualifiers, the game we played in Copenhagen that we lost 2 0, I maintain to this day is the worst performance in national team history, and think of the ground that covered. Mm -hmm. um, we were lethargic, we were slow, we were pathetic that day, and I've never had a crossword with a Danish person. I respect Danish culture, I really respect their team. I think if you were to do a poll right now of the best teams outside of the first seven or eight dominant forces in world football, Denmark would be in that spot. They made the European Championship semifinals for a reason. They've got a very, very talented team that's covered in all the positions. Um, they're probably a bit better team than we are right now. Talent-wise, they're not far behind us. But I am kind of sick and tired of hearing how progressive they play and how wonderful they are and how analytical they are. I think it's a narrative that's come from Western media. It's a narrative that's come from our domestic media, how progressive they are and how they play a modern style of football, not just their clubs, but also their national team. They play a very boring, pragmatic style, and it works for them, and I give them credit for that. But what we saw... Our team showing the qualifiers, and I'm not saying it's better than they are. I'm not saying it's going to be more efficient. I'm saying it was way more prettier and way more progressive and way more in tune with the times than anything that Denmark showed in the European Championships and during these you know, the qualifiers. Nobody was talking about that, though. So this whole notion about Scandinavian teams and Western teams being so much more creative and progressive and analytical, and they're the, they're the smart ones, but the ones that come from Eastern Europe, they're the dumb ones. Uh, it's, it's a narrative that... Maybe other people don't pay attention to, but it's a narrative that's bothered me for a long time. And uh, I have an axe to grind with Denmark as well. I think we historically have an axe to grind with them because they stole a European championship from us. They had no business being there. And 
I'm really excited. Should have been at home. They should have been at home. Should have been at home. So I'm excited to test the waters against them. Uh, they're a team that is, again, the 11 on 11 discipline that I talked about. They're even better when it comes to that special young forward. I think that they're a team that probably is best equipped to break us down because they can play multiple styles. Uh, they can be direct. They've got fast players. Uh, obviously, without Christian Eriksen, their team is a bit different, but they soldiered on during the championships final without him. So you have to give them respect for that. They've got a fantastic goalkeeper. They've got a tremendous midfield that probably is one of the few midfield that can match us, not just in terms of the pace that they have, but the physicality. And uh, the game in Copenhagen is going to be a great test because you're going up against some crowd that's going to be fired up. So I'm very excited for that match. I'm expecting Pixie to play his best team there. And I think it's a great proving ground against a team that's good form against a team that is probably where we'd like to be right now because they have the experience. They played in multiple tournaments before. They just come off a major achievement in the championship. I think it's a great accomplishment. I think it's amazing. I was very surprised when we got a team with that quality to play against us. And I think that they're good, solid tests for what this team needs because we've shown in the Portugal game and in other games that this team is deadly on the counterattack. But you're not going to have the luxury to play on the counterattack, Cosley. You need to have the ability to take the game to teams, and I think that these two opponents gave us a great chance to do that. Uh, I am disappointed that the game's not being played in Belgrade. I am kind of sad at least one of the games isn't being played at home, but considering that the Nations League, we're going to have four games, I think three of them are going to be at home. I think that's more than a good enough proving ground for us to get people to come to the stadium, and I'm hoping that people do show up, because if the draw, which is on April 1st, only three days after the Denmark game, goes our way, then there's no reason that the stadium shouldn't be full for those games. And certainly the friendlies, if we play well in those games, I think that the, the hype is going to be legitimate. It's going to be massive. So I can't wait. I think they're two great tests. And you have to give credit to the FA or whoever organized the matchups were very quick to bash them. A lot of times it's really so, but I think they did a great job in organizing these friendlies, and I think they did a great job in announcing them so quickly and uh, getting two quality tests against us. So I'm very excited to see what happens. It was funny, Alex, that you talk about that game in Denmark in 2016. I was there, believe it or not. I, I actually I actually was there. It was the driving rain. Uh, I got soaked, and yes, we were like cold. And I will never forget uh, the manager at the time was Radovan van Georgic, if you guys all remember. Yeah. And uh, he actually said, the, he said at, the, um, at the press conference after the game, and I'm thinking, oh my God. <laughs> what did you see? Yeah, like, what game was he watching? Do you also, know what I mean? Like, if, if I may very quickly interject. If you remember, that was around the time period when the under-20 team won the World Cup, and it was just after UEFA gave us another three-point deduction for the whole Frank so that was, game. That was, my, that was my famous trip whereby I went to go watch the Denmark game, and then the under-20s were in New Zealand, which is on my doorstep, but I decided to go watch the European under twenty ones and to watch Serbia get hammered four 0 by the Czech Republic in Prague. Oh, oh, so talk, talk about talk about <laughs> lifestyle choices. You know I mean? Like um, uh, uh, it was that same trip. It was, yeah, it was the driving rain. We weren't allowed, the Serbs weren't allowed of supporters after that Albania game, but I got through because I uh, threw on the um, uh, the Australian accent. You know, at the at the um, at the gate. You know, g'day mate, how you going? I brought my Sheila here with me, do you know what I mean? So um, they didn't know none the wiser. So uh, I'll never forget that. Mitrovic hit the post with his header when we were 1-0 down. And that was, the only, we only, that was the only look-in that we got in that whole game. And other one, she said after the game, he got always more part you. And I'm like, <laughs> what game were you watching, brother? Do you know what I mean? Like, but anyway, 
Anyway, well, there's, uh, there's a reason he's not coaching anymore. Anyway, but right? but fuck me, if a venue was anything more expensive than that in my life, then that it was it. That was Copenhagen. You know? <laughs> I mean, my, my God, that place was expensive. But anyway, so he's got some good news out of it. So you know, yes. There you go. I'm very excited for that Denmark game. Uh, hopefully we can get some revenge, as you guys said. Let's get some revenge on the Danes and also on Hungary. Should on be everybody. Some, uh, quality football and some well-contested uh, matches. And hopefully we see some new faces as well get a chance. And before we uh, cap off uh, this week's show, of course, unless you, unless anybody else has something to say, but we have to end with a belly shout-out, unless Luca or else. I, I have, I have a quick one. I have a quick one, and I feel, like, I feel like we just need to mention this player because we haven't mentioned him, and he's been playing magnificently. We did sort of in name, but Milinkovic Savage, dude, what he's doing right now, a very, very unbelievable man playing. I think, he, I think he's in the best form of his life, quite honestly, man, and uh, I would be very shocked if he's still in Lazio. In, uh, not this transfer window, but definitely but if he's still there during the summer, I'd be very shocked. Shout out to Dragon Schaller playing 5D chess when Vucic is paying 600 million for the TV rights of Schaller Buzz Club for 100 million. That's that's big brain stuff. So, big ups to him. <laughs> Serve Hampton, baby. SMS on fire, of course, as well. And Veli, shout outs. Let's go. Oh, what's, what's, what's Veli got to say? Fire out, Brussels Sprout. Um, okay. My first of all, my first, first shout out is to the Serbian passport derby that we all watched during the week between the Comoros Islands and uh, and Gabon <laughs> to watch Kanga and Ben play against each other. I thought that was that, that was a bit of a laugh, but um, again, I, I don't want to go over old ground. Massive shout out again. I think you guys will all agree to the Serbian community in Melbourne um, who really gave Djokovic a lot of support. So to the Serbian community Australia-wide, to the Serbian community that live outside of um, Serbia and uh, Republika Srpska, Hrvatska and things like that, everybody hold your head up high. Hold your head up high. Be proud of who we are. Be proud of what we are. Uh, I know that I'm preaching to the converted uh, while I'm saying this, but we have nothing to be ashamed about. We have nothing to be um, uh, uh, to be other than absolutely proud we are what we are. God has made us what we are. Thankfully, we are who we are. And we've got, a, in sporting terms, a massive year ahead of us, whether it be football, whether it be tennis, whether it be any other sport that we participate in. Um, do yourselves proud. Do yourselves proud as citizens. Do yourselves proud as human beings. Do yourselves proud as members of the Serbian um, community in the diaspora. Hold your head up high, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. And, you know, I can't wait for this year to happen. Beautiful words, Veli, as always. This is going to be a big year for Serbian sports. It's for Serbian football, uh, as we all hope. And finally, one last shout-out. You mentioned him, but we must say that Elfar Duben, the first Serbian to ever score in the African Cup of Nations. Bravo, bravo, bravo. Hopefully not the last. Hopefully not the last. Kanga almost scored today. I was watching. He almost scored. He had a chance. <laughs> Could have been... It could have been two serves scoring. And I remember, I think in his second game, I think he took a shot from 39 metres. You know <laughs> sounds, like I think sounds like Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I think it hit the car park, you know, uh, beyond the stadium. But I was like, that was close, brother. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that's, yeah, yeah. That's, that's called a heat check. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? So we can't just say it's was Vesta, mate. It's in, it's in his genes. It's in his makeup. So uh, God bless them both. And, um, yeah, like the Afghan has been a bit of fun to watch.
All right, everybody. Thanks for listening this week, and uh, we'll see you next week. Take care.